my parents are chemistry professors, so I run into this a lot. I I think the easiest way for anyone to explain to defend it is it's the idea of synchronicity. So the idea that we're all part of one energetic field and what's going on with the planets is affecting us as well. Um, and then I also really like the moon analogy, which is that, you know, the moon affects the tides and it affects our crops and we are whatever, 99% water. So the idea that the moon doesn't affect us, I think is um, something to think about. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I think that it's okay to question it. I think it's like really healthy to question things. And that's why I think the practice, if people can get to know it and understand it, will realize that it's super non-threatening because it doesn't, it's not telling you to be a certain way. It's just maybe giving you a little bit more information into who you are as a person. But, but yeah, I think that let's say someone in a bar kind of asks you like, haha, why do you care about that? Just tell them it's the idea of synchronicity. I'm Alison Rice, and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast, and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create, and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind, and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. My next guest runs and owns the Instagram account I've bookmarked the most images from. So many of my friends agree, consistently sharing her work and commenting that they feel seen when they read her. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Nadine Jane, of Nadine Jane Astrology. A New Yorker, Nadine offers astrology lovers an elevated, intelligent, and gentle guide to knowing ourselves better. Her readings are accessible and practical and also scarily accurate. You can book a one-on-one reading with her through her website, but she also gifts us with a wealth of free content on Instagram. From full moon reports to the lowdown on lunar eclipses, personalized chart tiles, and being the calm voice of reason during retrograde seasons, Nadine is a light. I'm actually beside myself, she said yes. Nadine read my chart beforehand and refers to it during our conversation to help answer my questions. We covered quite a bit of ground in a short amount of time, so to paint a picture of what is coming up, we covered our sun, moon and rising signs, how they show up in our personalities, what the 12 houses mean, the elements attached to our star signs, why we shouldn't be fearful when Mercury goes retrograde, and the truth about star sign compatibility. There's also so much more. Here's beautiful Nadine and I for Offline. You do personalized readings on your, um, you can book through your site, nadineastrology.com. 
But right. I wanted to know what are the most common questions that women ask you when you read, when you do a reading for them? Well, first of all, I think it's really interesting that you said women because 99% of the people who book readings with me are women. And actually 95% of my followers are women, which I think is not surprising necessarily, but interesting nonetheless. Um, But anyways, the most common question across the board, both in a reading and on Instagram would be, am I compatible with my partner? And that's... Yeah. And I think people are kind of looking for an answer to, is this person my soulmate? Is this person the one that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with? And unfortunately, astrology can answer that to a certain degree, but I cannot tell you if you will or will not end up with someone. Um, So that would be the number one question. I think the second question would certainly relate to career. So am I on the right path? Um, What does my chart say about what I'm supposed to do with my life? So I would say um, zoom out big picture. People are asking pretty big existential life questions, right? Like who who am Mm -hmm. I supposed to spend my life with and what am I supposed to spend my life doing? So natal chart readings are really fascinating to do because it it teaches me so much about the fact that I'm so similar to everyone else, I guess. We all share a lot in common on a very, very deep and fundamental level. Um, and we're all looking for answers to the big questions. And astrology can only mm. go so far in answering those questions. <laughs> That's actually really good context. So we've mentioned natal chart a couple of times now. So um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, it's a it's a birth chart. And right. on your site, you explain it as it's a picture of the sky and the planets the moment you were born. And you call it an astrological thumbprint, which I loved. Yeah. Um, but I guess that is a good segue into my next question. Like how does knowing our natal chart help us navigate who we are perhaps and, and how we interact in the world? Because as you're saying, it's not necessarily going to give you the answers, but I guess it provides almost um, a guide. Yes. I think um, I'll speak from my experience and I'll speak for for the readings that I've done. But when I fell in love with astrology, it was because it was really nice to have a tool or a a spiritual practice, whatever you want to call it, um, that basically echoed back to me everything that I think I fundamentally knew about myself anyways. And Mm. I think what's most interesting about doing readings with people is that they walk away saying, you told me everything that I knew. It was just so meaningful to have a stranger tell me what I've been feeling and what I've been sort of what's been rumbling inside of me for a long time. Um, and so the idea of it being a thumbprint is to me, astrology is just a tool for understanding why things happen and why you're built the way that you are. Um, it's not going to lead you. Well, I think the coolest thing about astrology is it doesn't ask anything of you. It's not some sort of religion or a spiritual practice that requires anything of you. It literally is just, I actually more equate it to taking a personality test, honestly, or um, if you're someone who's interested mm. in exploring something like human design, I think there's a lot of overlap to those practices. Oh, I um, couldn't agree more. Yeah. And so I, I, understand why I know we're getting a little bit off topic, but I understand why the practice can feel um, threatening to people who don't believe in something that is you can't necessarily perfectly explain by science. 
But what I always tell people is it's just more information. All you're going to get out of it is maybe a little bit more clarity into who you are or, or even beyond clarity, maybe some affirmation as to who you are as a person. And that, I think, can really set people off on a good path of being like, okay, I always knew I was artistic, so I guess I should keep being artistic. Or I always knew that I was a very logical person, so I'm going to own that side of my personality. So I end up using readings really to empower people to be the best version of themselves rather than I mm. think sometimes we're all trying to fit into whatever box is the uh, coolest or the hippest at the moment. Um, and astrology is this very cool, broad reaching tool for self-acceptance, I think. Does that answer your question? That's I went so beautiful. Yeah. No, it really does answer my question. And I think that's certainly what I've gotten out of it you know, in the past, oh my gosh, I've always been into astrology, but it's certainly been validation for the deep sense of knowing that I already had about myself. So I think you've explained it perfectly. And it's interesting you said like, you know, cool signs or like you want to be sort of affiliated in a way with like, I always think, um, you know, Scorpios and Geminis get such a bad rap. (laughs) It's this crazy thing. I know. um, And because I'm, I know we'll talk about my chart, but I'm Cancerian and I always say the very best sign. I mean, I'm biased, but I feel like all Cancerians (laughs) are just genuinely nice people. It, well, it is because it's, and again, we'll maybe get to it more depth later, but it's, I think it'd be interesting to anyone who's listening and either is a cancer or knows a cancer, but um, it's inherently one of the most empathetic signs. And so when we're talking about, are these people nice or not? I would say there's no such thing as a sign that's not nice, but I think certain signs are certainly more, um, have more soft skills, I guess, more ability to understand Mm. people, to intuitively read them. And I think cancer is certainly on the greater end of that spectrum of the Zodiac. So yes, Mm. cancer is a very, um, but I think one of the least known things about cancer is that the reason why it's symbolized by the crab is that if you have such soft and gentle and and empathetic, and I think in some cases, empathic um, tendencies, then you need a very guarded outer shell in order to survive in the world. Um, and so I always think that common misconceptions, yeah, they're super sweet. And yet at the same time, they can actually come across as super private, not in your case, because your chart's more complicated than that. But some cancers can be some of the most guarded people in the world. Mm, one of my best friends is actually also Cancerian and that a lot of people um, after they get to know her, they'll say, oh, I thought you were so intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just because she's actually just so protective of her personal space and her yeah. um, emotional well-being, you know, that she just doesn't let anyone in readily, whereas um, I'm a little bit different. I think I have a hard time um, stopping, like, yeah. people coming in. I'm a little bit too um, open. Um, so our natal chart provides us our sun, moon and rising signs. Yeah. And I guess this is a little bit back to basics. Um, there's of course more, but given we don't have a lot of time, can right. you explain those three core ones um, and how I guess they to. come to life in our, yeah, through our readings? So for anyone who has zero context for what we're talking about because some people might and some people might not. Exactly. We're talking about um, the we're going we're t- fund- core parts of the chart that explain different facets of your personality. And these are probably the three most commonly known ones. 
Um, but the sun sign is what we all know. So if you walk into a bar and someone says, hey, what's your sign? You would say, I'm a cancer. And I would say, I'm an Aquarius. So this is based on the day that you were born. Um, I think sometimes when people start familiarizing themselves with the birth chart, they wonder, okay, does it even matter that I'm a cancer anymore? Because there's all this other stuff going on in my chart. Yes. And to an- to start answering what a sun sign is, it's essentially, yes, it's super important because it's essentially the CEO of your chart. And so if you think about how a company functions, you have tons of employees, right, all reporting into the CEO's vision. And so that's what your cancer son does is, yeah, you have a lot of other stuff going on, but it's still falling under the umbrella CEO or leader or visionary being a cancer. Um, so mm-hmm. in, in I think this part's interesting. The sun sign is considered the ego. It's considered the conscious self. So we can think of this, especially at least... Um, in the Western society, we really champion the ego. And so a lot of us very heavily identify with our sun sign. Um, but what we'll talk about in a second is the moon sign. In some practices, especially in Vedic astrology, it's considered much more important than the sun sign. Um, from my yes. practice, I find the moon sign way more interesting. But I do think that the sun sign is super relevant very important um, to the chart. So yeah, CEO of Mm. the chart would be the sun sign. Then I think Mm -hmm. let's stick with the company analogy. The rising sign in the chart is the head of PR. And what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is um, it dresses the company. It makes the speeches. It uh, makes sure the outer persona is up to par. It protects the company to a certain extent, right? Where it's saying the right thing, it's doing the right thing. And it's um, I think one of the most interesting parts about the rising sign beyond it being the head of PR is what did you learn how to be when you were young? And so the sun sign mm. is authentically who you are, but the rising signs who you learn to be, it's a learned behavior. Um, and so the rising sign, some people call it a mask. I think that's a very common interpretation is like, oh, that's your mask that you put on when you're with other people. But I always like to think of the deeper meaning, which is maybe what did you have to be in your family of origin? Or what did you learn at a very young age the first time you experienced shame or being embarrassed of who you are? The rising signs are mm. really great tool for protecting ourselves, basically. That's interesting because I've always identified like, so I'm Aquarius rising. Right. And, you know, and you're an Aquarian. So like innovation, leadership, being first. And and when I think about my career path, I'm like, that is all Aquarius, (laughs) you know, like being this sort of um, digital innovator and wanting to sort of do things differently and challenge the status quo. So it's fascinating because I really identify with um, my rising sign as how I, yeah, to your point, how I present myself in the world. And I too, I think, I think we'll interlace your chart throughout the conversation because I think it's interesting. You're obviously your listeners know you, so I think it's interesting for them to know this, but the reason why you would identify really heavily as an Aquarius rising is because you have Jupiter in Aquarius in the first house. And we haven't gotten to houses yet, so I don't want to confuse anyone. But to kind of foreshadow maybe what we end up talking about later, you um, have a very large planet in Aquarius that's in Aquarius that's lighting up your first house of identity. And so for you, mm. even more so than than any other person identifies with their rising sign. And I would say oh, there's a lot of people in the world that do that when they discover the rising sign, they're kind of like, oh, that makes so much sense. Whereas for um, someone where there are difficult aspects in the chart to the rising sign, they say, no, I don't understand why people 
perceive me that way because I don't feel that way at all on the inside. So some people have easier relationships with their rising signs than others. Uh, but the number mm. one question to ask yourself is who did I learn to be? You know, what, how did I survive, learn to survive in the world is, is the way that I like to analyze the rising sign. Oh my God, I feel that. Did you talk about the moon? No. So let's go into the moon. So no. um, this is my favorite part of the chart to read. Um, but this basically, let's say the sun is the conscious self. The moon is the unconscious self. So who are you? So this is why I'm fascinated to talk to you about this because what right. happens to me when my moon and my sun are in cancer? So my sun is in Aquarius and my moon is in Aquarius. And oh. uh, the best way to understand it is your CEO and I, again, sticking with the company analogy, I think the moon sign sort of the culture of the company, you know, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if the people hate working there, things fall apart. You can't not nurture the, the culture, right? And so the way I would look at it is the CEO and the culture are an ex on exactly the same page. They think the same. They function the same. Any into intuitive idea that the CEO has, the culture responds to it and says, we want to do it as well. Um, one time I was, I did a re I got a reading done for myself and the woman said, which I thought was so uh, accurate to when the sun and the moon are the same sign. If I woke up tomorrow and I wanted to move to Paris, my head said like, let's move to Paris. Then my heart would say yes. And so like, it's a yeah. very, it's, it gives the person an ability to act at times on its worst day impulsively, but on its best day, you and I can make decisions <laughs> pretty easily. You're in a less, um, cancer is not necessarily a sign that thrives on making decisions. However, there's a lot of other stuff in your chart that makes you a go-getter. But um, yeah, when the sun and moon are in the same sign, it just means all systems go. There's a lot of stuff in our personality that's aligned with it, with one another. That's so good. I guess it's kind of like, to me, it feels like full embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's actually really, it's incredible. And I have to say, it's something I've always been really, um, is proud the right word? I'm really proud of it. Like, yes. it's this weird relationship I have with my natal chart where I'm like, I like my chart because I'm, I identify with it so much. It feels so yeah. true to me. Um, yeah. Whereas I can imagine for some women, if they don't identify with their chart, yeah, that could actually be quite complex. Um, yeah. Do you have and that I a think, lot? Um, no. I think it depends on who's reading your chart because mm. my – I mean, the whole reason I do the practice and it's also very true of my chart is I'm a very glass half full person. And so my goal for you when you leave the reading is that you should feel empowered and you should feel stoked on who you are. Even if you have tons of Scorpio and Gemini in your chart and the whole world has told you that's awful, I my hope is for you to leave understanding what an amazing skill that is. Um, and so I, I would say if de it depends on who you do the reading with, but my goal would be for mm. everyone to feel the way that you do about your chart. Cause they should, it's your own, you should love your own thumbprint, right? You should love exactly mm -hmm. who you are. Um, even if it doesn't look like someone else's. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk quickly about the 12 houses. Yeah. Um, I also read on your site, the house that the planet shows up mm. in tells a story of where that energy is supposed to be activated in your life. I found that a little bit hard to get my head around, so I'm sure other people will as well. Oh, yeah. Maybe using my chart, can you give us an example of what that means? Absolutely. Um, and then I'm going to use a, an example that's not you to start us okay. off, and then I'm going to relate it to your chart. Um, 
but first of all, the houses I think are the hardest barrier for people learning astrology. I think that's where people get stuck um, because conceptually it makes no sense. But um, I don't know if I should go into this, but if for anyone who is mildly interested, the houses explain how literally the sky is broken up. And so it's broken up into these 12 sections. And so you thinking of the sun is a really good example. When we wake up in the morning at say like four in the morning on the Eastern horizon, the sun is rising. And so that's where um, that would be the 12th house. And then the sun sets in the sixth house. And so I won't go any further into the it, what's going on beyond okay. that. But the houses sort of explain if sun and if the planet and the signs, let's say sun and cancer, tells a story of your personality, the house tells a story of where that personality shows up. So my example is not you. This is a very generic example. Sun and Leo would classically be described as a performer. So they could be a musician or they could be an actor or something like that. Uh, however, if you put a Sun and Leo in, let's say, the 12th house or the 8th house, which are two of the most private houses, they're an amazing concert pianist in their parents' basement. So the point being that that performer-type personality only feels comfortable in a private setting. It can't make itself to center stage. Versus mm. a son in Leo, let's say in the first house, which is the most one of, or the tenth house, which are two of the most public-facing houses, that might be a celebrity you and I know. So I, mm -hmm. I always use that example for people because I think that's the easiest for us to contextualize. But they essentially explain why your son in Cancer is more productive than another person. So I'll use your chart as an example. You have a son in cancer in the sixth house of work service. And what that means is like mm. cancer is not necessarily, cancer is maternal. It's known for being kind, empathetic. Those are not hard skills, right? Those are very uh, soft skills. But if you pop a son in cancer in the sixth house, she knows how to work. She knows how to put in a good mm -hmm. day's work. She knows how to make a successful business. She knows how to put in, you know, nine, 10 hour days, even longer. If she has to. So the six, and I'm, obviously I'm talking about you, even though I'm saying kind of in third person, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so in your case, your sun and your moon for that matter, very much show up in work. It's it, you don't have an ego and a heart that is completely disconnected from the functional world. Your sun and moon show up in the house of work service. Does that make sense? It really does. And I'm very, I identify with that. So this is awesome. <laughs> Nadine and I moved onto the elements. Every sign belongs to one of four elements of the zodiac, fire, earth, air, and water. I wanted to know if opposites attract because my husband, Tony, is a Sag, which is fire, and I'm a Cancerian, which is water. Right, right. So um, the one really fun fact that I think people, I find interesting, and I, I think other people will as well, is that in Chinese astrology, if, um, especially back in the day, they would forecast the kid's chart literally at the moment that they were born and name the child after the element that they were lacking so that they could meet a partner one day that had that element. And so the reason why I think wow. that's fascinating is that... Um, what I will say is that I don't think that the elements are a massive dictator for compatibility, but I do think that it's one way, it's a lens in which you could look through the relationship. 
And um, I find that I've done so many compatibility readings with couples, and it's just so hard to say what works for one couple is going to work for everyone. However, um, I'll explain what the dynamics, right? If you're going to, me and my boyfriend have a ton of air. We, we share that in common. We have really great dialogue. We love to talk. However, my chart is all air and water. So I feel a lot and I think a lot. And that's pretty much what I got mm. to give the world, right? <laughs> and, um, and then he has tons of air and then a ton of earth. And so what I always think is the idea of wa- water running over rocks. I really do think the fact that we share some elements in common and then he has that nice earth balance for my water to land on is really great. Um, but then I've met other couples where they're fire and water, which are contrasting elements, right? They, sh- don't, they don't necessarily lend themselves well together. And yet the cancer person feels super intrigued by the fire person. And they're like, wow, they mm. take me out of my shell. They make me want to go see new things. And then the fire person, if they're evolved, can say, wow, this water really makes me look inward rather than going outward, which I always do. Um, but it really depends on the specifics of the two cup, the two people's charts to really know is that fiery personality going to respond well to the fact that that person has a lot of intuition and a lot of water, which really just means does that fire sign want to be seen or not? Because the gift of water signs is seeing people. And by seeing people, I mean, it's they're seeing the shit that like, we don't want to show other people necessarily, but you guys are okay. picking up on it anyways. Um, whereas fire signs for the most part are so in the here and now, and they're so trying to do things and activate things, um, that they might not necessarily want, they don't really have the time in some cases to, to be seen and to think, to talk and think about the, the deep stuff that's going on within them. So it's complicated. <laughs> I, yeah. So like I said, it's actually the beginning. The number one question I get is compatibility. And yet that's the one question that I think is impossible to answer for people. The most that astrology can give you, and I think any practice for that matter, is tools for optimizing your relationship. Because if you, like one of the things that a, a reading could do for a couple's understanding, you have totally different love languages. You communicate in a totally different way. Let's fill in the blanks for for you guys so you can understand, oh my God, that was my boyfriend's love language. I just couldn't see it because it's not mine. Does that make sense? Mm, It does make sense. And for anyone who doesn't know about the love languages, I know we'd both highly recommend you do some research on that because mine is acts of service. So I show my love by doing things and going out of my way um, and overextending myself a lot of the time. Um, but when I think about how I receive love, it's very much in sort of touch and, um, yeah, like interaction in that way, like affection, yeah. I guess, is the yeah, way physical I... physical affection. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's like an interesting thing I learned about myself a little bit later on in life. I also yeah. saw um, you have an, a great YouTube channel. So for anyone listening who wants to see your face and, and watch you talk about astrology, they can go and do that. But you also um, talk about Venus and Mars when yeah. it relates to compa- com- compatibility versus um, sun signs. Yeah. So, um, and I would say Venus, Mars, and the moon are the best indicators for compatibility long-term because the moon sign, like we covered, it's the deepest part of the chart. So what I thought was fascinating about you saying that your love language is work, um, was acts of service is that your moon is in cancer, which is the nurture in the sixth house of work service. 
And so what that means is the way that you nurture yourself and the way that you clearly nurture other people, aka love them, um, is that you like to do functional things for them, just like you like to do functional things for yourself. Um, but anyways, Venus is going to explain how do you love? I mean, what we were just talking about, the love languages test, I think we can literally kind of map those to Venus signs. So some people are super romantic. Like I'm a Venus in Pisces. You can't get any more romantic than that. Like I'm ridiculously, <laughs> ridiculously idealistic in love. Whereas you could have a Venus in Aries where it wants to get shit done and it's not interested in wasting time. So they're the type of person who will literally text you saying, hey, are you ghosting me? Because I'm not clear on what we're doing here. So Venus kind of <laughs> explains, it explains the first start of love. Um, and the, the later side of love as well. So I think it's also interesting to think about the beginning stages of dating and where that where Venus can show up. And then Mars, um, very complicated planet. It explains our uh, drive. It explains our inner impulses. It has a lot to do with sexuality and has a lot to do with what motivates us on the inside. So Mars is the plant is the god of war, so to speak. And so this actually really can explain a couple's dynamic in both sex and in how they fight. So Mars, mm. I would say, comes a bit later. I mean, for some people, obviously, it can come super soon in regards to sex, but at least the fighting part can come later. And that's when you get to know each other's Mars signs. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's my Mars? Your Mars is in Cancer. <laughs> in Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> But, but again, I, I can't explain enough. You, you now have three planets in the sixth house of work service. All of that aggression and drive for you shows up in the sixth house of work service. So it's actually a, a nice place for Mars to be. However, Mars does not like to be in cancer. And I think this is like a great segue for understanding a bit about Mars. Mars mm. being the god of war. And it, that means it's an aggressive planet it doesn't thrive in an empathetic sign like cancer. By the way, my Mars is in cancer as well. So I'm speaking about me oh, okay. too. Um, you and I can sometimes be thwarted when it comes to activating our anger because we empathize too much. We get to the point where we're like, am I allowed to be feeling what I'm feeling? Because I understand that other person's perspective. Um, mm. I want to caretake. I don't want to necessarily cause a scene. So Mars and cancer actually ends up being a really, so it's like, a, a, I like to think of us combusting at a certain point where we hold in our anger, we hold in our anger, we hold in our anger. And then one day we explode with a laundry list of things that we never ended up having a fight about. Oh my so, God, this is me. Oh, it's me <laughs> as well. And it's a lot of It's like my emotional through. memory. Oh, our emotional memory is crazy. Yeah. So, so anyway, mm. so Mars thrives in certain signs and then, and just, that's true of any planet, by the way, but Mars in our case does not thrive in cancer. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, I need to get, um, unfortunately and so sadly, yeah, we don't have um, Tony's time, time of birth. Um, so I need to get his hospital records. So I, cause yeah. I actually, we haven't done his natal chart before cause oh, I know he's a Sag, but there's so much more in there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm fascinated to, to do that for him as well. Um, yeah. I had also wondered, and you spoke a little bit about this, but how um, to apply astrology to career choices and oh, yeah. direction. Um, and yeah. I wondered how you thought about that. Cause in my most recent leadership role, I lent into my emotional capacity and mm -hmm. I certainly like leading teams of women I felt 
the room um, yeah. before I kind of saw the room and I yeah. made a lot of very, um, my decisions were based on intuition actually. So for a role that was, you know, it was highly strategic. A lot of it felt like it came through me. From within, yeah, totally. Mm. You So we'll use you as an example because your chart's actually pretty interesting for career. Um, but for anyone who's maybe listening to this and looking at their chart, we look to the midheaven to understand career. And if you're like, what the hell is a midheaven? By the way, am I allowed to swear? Do you guys, is that? Is that of course, have to bleep I me swear out? a lot okay. just haven't yet. Oh, okay, awesome. Um, so if anyone's thinking, I have no idea what a midheaven is, it's the highest point in the sky at the moment that you were born. So the cool thing about that is, is it defines your reputation, your career, it's your public image. So for celebrities, I think it's always interesting to look at their midheaven because you're like, oh, that's why we think of her that way. Um, and so anyways, you have in the other place you can look is the sixth house, which in your case, we've already talked a ton about, but the sixth house of the chart will sort of explain what you give to your career and where your strengths lie in regards to work service. So like, what do we give? And then the 10th house explains what do we get in return? So it's like fame, honor, all those types of things. And in your case, what I think is really interesting about what you just described is that yeah, you got all this cancer stuff going into work service, which that basically means people benefit from your cancerian nature on your podcast and any of the endeavors that you do in a work environment, you're giving your cancer energy. But what you get, what other people are actually perceiving, which I think is really interesting, is Scorpio. Your midheaven is in Scorpio. And that actually is a part of you that's extremely intuitive. It means essentially the highest point in the sky for you is the inner psychologist. So you might be really good at reading people. Maybe that's why you like doing your podcast is you can draw people out very easily, just like a therapist would. Um, I always, I like truly Scorpio is the sign of psychology and I think they should get more credit mm -hmm. for that. Um, you also have Pluto, which is the ruler of Scorpio in your 10th house of career, fame and honor. And then you have Saturn, which means you have, a, you take your career seriously. You have lots of planets in your 10th house of career fame and honor, but they're all specifically in Scorpio. And so my guess is the reason why you're able to do what you just described is more because people think that you know, and people, that's the vibe of Scorpios. People are like, I don't know why, but I think she can read my mind. Cancer is more nurturing where people feel safe with you. The Scorpio is actually the part where people might trust you to tell them what they what they're feeling or to read them pretty well. So I would say for you, you use your intuition in both your work service and what you get in return from your work. Because mm. you have two water this signs is just going like, on. This yeah. is the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, talk about validation. Yeah. You know. What I'm like, reading is, mm. is, is you have that power anyways. That is completely baked in the person that you are. But how cool is it to have someone explain that to you? That, you know, that the sky is yeah. essentially affirming that back for you. And now for when Mercury goes retrograde, it gets a pretty bad rap. And I think every women's outlet in the world has a good traffic month when that happens. I see so many fear-based stories about how we're all screwed and everything's going to go wrong. Nadine sets the record straight and teaches us how to work with it versus against it. We never know. But the reason why Mercury retrograde is so cliched is because Mercury is the fastest moving planet second to the sun. And so what that means is like when Mercury is, in quote, not working right, it's really affecting our day-to-day -day life. 
Um, and so I'll pr- maybe just use that as an example, just because, and I'll, and I'll briefly talk through the other most common retrograde, uh, but Mercury retrograde, I think the most common misconception, by the way, is the planet's not spinning backwards. It's actually that the planet's moving slower. And so relatively speaking, it looks like it's spinning backwards just in comparison to what it's normally doing in comparison to the sun. Um, and so the way that the easiest way to think about it is the planet's drunk. It's like asleep at the wheel. You know what I mean? The planet that's normally helping us communicate with each other is wasted. And like, it's it's useless at this point, right? <laughs> We're not going to call Mercury to pick us up, right? Because it's drunk. <laughs> it can't help us anymore. Um, and so I think it gets a bad rep because we're so used to not having... Think Mercury helps things go smoothly, basically. Um, and so, of course, we all hate it when things don't. And so the number one advice when Mercury's in retrograde is you got to dot your I's and cross your T's. And instead of using like your Grammarly online checker, why don't you just literally read through your document and make sure you said everything correctly? Um, make sure that you're sending your emails to the right person. Make sure that you're um, sending the text message to the right person. Like there's so many, by the way, transportation gets messed up as well because Mercury is sort of the operator. And so why don't you just leave 10, 15 minutes earlier than you normally would to pre-anticipate the fact that something might go wrong. So I always think of it as, um, an experience of adulting because nor is the parent, which would be Mercury is drunk and it's asleep. And so you got to parent yourself during those periods of time. Does that make sense? That's so good. And then I think the second most common one, which I think is fascinating, is when Venus goes retrograde. So Venus, you and I already covered, but Venus is a planet of love and it's a planet of beauty. So there was one month where I was having breakouts. I got the worst haircut of my entire life. Um, and I suddenly realized, well, of course, Venus is retrograde. So it very much affects our appearance for better or for worse. The sign that it that it's in will really define if it's deeply affecting you. During this time, Venus was in Aquarius in retrograde, and so it deeply affected my appearance. Um, but another way that Venus going retrograde affects us is our love life. So um, exes coming back into our lives, uh, things from the past coming up, you know, uh, past experiences haunting us in relationships. So retrogrades can um, also has to do with bringing stuff from the past into the present. Mm, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay, what do you say to people who kind of roll their eyes? You did speak about it briefly at the beginning, but who maybe pay out astrology or, yeah, roll your roll their eyes when you tell them you're an astrologer because I felt very challenged. Like I actually, I'm a Vedic meditator. Um, oh, so when you mentioned, yeah, Vedic astrology, it's interesting because I, someone had read my chart, um, a Vedic teacher, but it was just very brief. And he um, had said that, I think my moon was in Gemini. Okay. Um, so is the moon different in, is it? Or no, I don't, I don't think know so, why. but he, uh, he might have been talking about your progress chart. Some pe- It might have been a oh. predictive reading rather than talking about your birth chart. Oh, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but what do you say to people who just say, oh, don't. it's all bullshit? Yeah. Well, um, my parents are chemistry professors, so I've run into this a lot. Um, I I think the easiest way for anyone to explain to defend it is it's the idea of synchronicity so the idea that we're all part of one energetic field and what's going on with the planets is affecting us as well 
Um, and then I also really like the moon analogy, which is that, you know, the moon affects the tides and it affects our crops and we are whatever, 99% water. So the idea that the moon doesn't affect us, I think is um, something to think about. And, mm. uh, but yeah, I, I think that it's okay to question it. I think it's like really healthy to question things. And that's why I think the practice, if people can get to know it and understand it, will realize that it's super non-threatening because it doesn't, it's not telling you to be a certain way. It's just maybe giving you a little bit more information into who you are as a person. But, but yeah, I think that let's say someone in a bar kind of asks you like, haha, why do you care about that? Just tell them it's the idea of synchronicity. Mm, and then they'll just shut up and they'll be like all right whatever (laughs) um i just have a couple more questions for you um one of the reasons offline exists is to kind of explore life on the other side of the filter and i thought it might be interesting for us to chat briefly about instagram um because you run like a pretty big account um and you're kind of regularly updating it and you're also running an account that um a lot of people participate in your instagram account yeah so it's very much a two-way conversation um i wondered what your relationship is with instagram and do you find it hard sometimes? Like, I don't know if you do get much negativity on there or I can imagine it's something that takes up a lot of your time. That's such a good question. Um, I don't follow anyone on that account and, and it was very intentional. Um, and it was because I wanted it to just be my little portal of Instagram where I was just producing, I was just putting out content for people to do with it what they wish. Um, but I think that in general, I've gotten very little negative feedback because I do everything authentically. And my only goal is to help you understand yourself. And so I don't think I'm attracting people who want to have negative and hostile conversations on my platform. Um, and so I think I've gotten super lucky with that. And that's why every decision that I make for what I post on there is very intentional because I don't want to be attracting that culture that we have around astrology and Instagram of making fun of each other. And to the point where, like you said, at the beginning Scorpios and Gemini's really get this shitty end of that um, whole game. And so um, I think that I've had very toxic experience with social media on my personal account, but I actually find that my astrology counts a bit of a breath of fresh air where it's so cool to see people tagging their friends in these posts that have to do with what we're feeling. And I'm amazed by how vulnerable people will get on social media. Sometimes if you give them up, if I, cause in some ways I'm being extremely vulnerable with what I write because everything that I'm writing comes from lived experience. Um, and so I'm always impressed by how opening up a more honest and vulnerable dialogue, you get a lot of that in return. Um, and so, yeah, that has been a lucky experience where it's actually made me realize that there are holes of Instagram that are really positive and really beneficial and really are just there for people to be kind to one another. But then there are many holes that make you feel absolutely awful about yourself. And I try very hard to limit those. But yeah, so I intentionally follow zero people because I don't want to be checking Mm -hmm. a feed when I go on there. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing is like, and I kind of, I went through this myself where um, I had to sort of, I'm still very active in my DMs because offline's community is life support for me as well. Like I adore my listeners and talking to them, but I did have yeah. to sort of bear it back a little bit. And then I also introduced a um, an opportunity to be coached. 
Mm. Um, because also, I don't know if you spend a lot of time in DMs, but I realized it was like hours and hours a day where I was responding and giving advice and being a cancerian wanted to help yeah. and then going, oh gosh, this is actually my expertise and I need to sort of value my worth. And if people want yeah. my time and my advice, then it's okay for them to pay. Do yeah. you spend much time in your DMs given that you actually do readings as a service? It's such a, uh, I had the exact same experience where, where I think at the beginning I was super, um, super new to having people wanting to engage with me on something that I loved. And so I think I did spend time writing out a paragraph with, because I do get messages from people saying, Hey, my sun is in this, my moon is in this, my rising is in this. Tell me about myself. And mm. now that I, this truly has become my job. Now I ha- just have to learn to set boundaries where I just tell people, Hey, that question I can very well answer for you in a reading you can book from my site here. But it's been such a struggle for me as well, because I do want to get people to fall in love with a practice that's been super healing for me, but not at the cost of me having to spend my entire life in, in on my phone in a direct message with other people. So I think also, yeah. I, and it's forced me to get creative in my content for ways that I can empower other people if they don't want to book a reading with me to still get information. Um, so that's why like, I spend a lot of time thinking about how to educate on my Instagram, because I do realize not everyone can afford to book a reading. Um, and so, mm. so anyways, it's been a, it's been a total struggle for me to, to set values mm. in that yes. time. Yeah. Well, I totally appreciate your response. And I also just wanted to say like, you know, as a writer and a journalist, I just think you're the most beautiful writer. Like your use of language, honestly, in the way you communicate, like your writing is very expressed. And so I think that's why so many women are so drawn to it because we kind of feel through your writing, which is so nice. And it's a bit of an art form. So I don't know if you ever think that about your own writing, but I don't know if we ever do actually, but, um, but it's just a delight to read. Thank you so much. I think for me, um, it's been free therapy because I think as I'm writing out something for you, even if your horoscope's totally different than mine is, um, I'm still, it's essentially writing a love letter to that part of myself because actually a good kind of note to start wrapping up on is that we have all 12 signs within us. Every single person does. Mm. And so um, what I think about is like, if I'm writing to a cancer, I'm writing to the cancer part of myself. If I'm writing to a Scorpio, I'm writing to the Scorpio part of myself. And that to me, it's been interesting. The times where there have been moments where I've written and I've made myself cry because I related so much. To, I, it was such a deeply personal thing that I was writing. Those I find people responding the most to. So I, I for my, when I, write in a way that I'm really proud of. It's when I can get to that deeper level. That's not just conscious. I'm speaking to a very deep part of myself. So, um, Mm. not even art, I would call it therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for giving us that part of yourself because, and for free, (laughs) it's, um, it's quite incredible. Now I just have one final question. I ask each of my guests offline exists as an exploration of self. And I would say, you know, yourself, um, very well. Um, but who, who are we without the labels like astrologer, you live in New York, you've got this Instagram yeah. account, all this stuff. So yeah. when you're sitting in true self, um, yeah. how do you identify with that? And, and who are you when you're in your true self? Oh, that's such a good question. It's pretty expansive. I wish, I wish I had, I'm glad I didn't prepare, but I wish I had prepared. Um, Cause I think so often we go to the labels 
Yeah. You know, but um, I know when I answered it myself in an episode way back, I went to kind of nurture and like, mm. of course, the Cancerian, but I, I kind of went to the feeling and the characteristics and the way I kind of, um, yeah, maybe identify with my feelings. I, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, for some reason, what's coming to mind for me is that I'm a beginner. Um, and what I mean by that is like, I've had so many jobs already and I've, uh, made so many mistakes, honestly. And I've been so many different people in, in not a very long span of time. And what I've learned to embrace and love about myself is that I'm always a beginner and I'm uh, never an expert. And I think that's a really good space to be in. But I think that um, my truest self is curious, curious enough to start. That mm, that's beautiful yeah <laughs> what an amazing answer unprepared um I have to thank you so very much for making the time this really is a highlight for me honestly I'm such a me big too. fan of you and, and your work um so I appreciate you taking the time yeah it was so so enjoyable for me and thank you for having such a curated and thoughtful podcast because I think that people need to be hearing stuff that is thoughtfully executed and I can tell that that's definitely what you bring to the table also based on your birth chart I know that's true (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us for this episode of offline visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously and upcoming community events follow getoffline.co on instagram and me my handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. <laughs>